I know you're paying attention to global events as well as what's going on in our nation. War and increased conflict is bubbling up in more places. Countries are buying and hoarding massive amounts of gold. Why aren't you? It's time to pull the trigger with the Oxford Gold Group and buy gold and silver. Nobody can predict the future, but we can't put our head in the sand either. Call Oxford Gold Group right now, and you may qualify for up to $10,000 in free precious metals. Call 833-995-GOLD. That's 833-995-GOLD. 833-995-G-O-L-D. When you have health insurance, it's easy to forget about your out-of-pocket costs. That can be a lot of money. But are your bills accurate? Well, it's estimated that over 50% of medical bills contain errors. HealthLock can help you. HealthLock technology securely connects with your insurance and flags any overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. To date, HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million. So to save, visit HealthLock.com today. That's HealthLock.com today. If you're a firearms enthusiast like I am, or you have one in your life, let me tell you about the industry's best-kept secret, Bear Creek Arsenal. This is a veteran-owned and operated gun manufacturer. Bear Creek Arsenal, that is, based in Sanford, North Carolina. They make high-quality firearms at an incredible value. Learn more about Bear Creek Arsenal at BearCreekArsenal.com slash buck. Use promo code BUCK to get 10% off your first order. One more time, bearcreekarsenal.com slash BUCK and promo code BUCK to get 10% off your first order. Welcome to today's edition of the Rush Limbaugh Show podcast. It is an incredible honor to sit in for Rush Limbaugh on the program he built with this team's help and with the listeners' help. That's all of us. 800-282-2882 if you want to join us on an incredibly special day. Rush's beloved wife, Catherine Limbaugh, will join us and take your questions. She's going to talk about the beautiful ceremony in which the Maha was laid to rest. And I'm fond of reminding people that today is the day the Lord has made. And I think you're going to hear something. And I encourage you to gather any fans of Rush Limbaugh to this broadcast. You're going to hear a brief piece of audio between a husband and wife, Rush and Catherine. And you're going to hear our rush in a way you've never heard him before. And you're going to hear a man accepting the will of God, and you're going to hear a loving couple. And we're going to get to that in this segment. And then Catherine Limbaugh will join us on Rush's show. Now, those of us who listened to Rush for a long time, we knew that the Paul Revere books were an outgrowth of something that just lived in Rush's spirit, which was that he was committed to helping young skulls of mush become fully formed Americans, understanding American exceptionalism, etc. And yesterday, yesterday, this provides a great opportunity because Joe Biden has said various things. One of the things he said is he's bragging about, and, and President Trump made this point at CPAC, he's bragging about educating kids that he's keeping in what the media used to call cages that are now facilities again, while blue state governors keep the, uh, the, the American kids out of school. But yesterday, Joe Biden said that Mexico and the United States are equal. And if we're equal, why are millions of Americans flooding into this country to become Americans? Well, back in 2018, Rush explained to a 13-year-old caller why it shouldn't be easy to become an American. We have, uh, from Charlottesville, Ohio... 
I guess is Delia, and she is 13 years old. Hi, Delia. Welcome to our program. Hi, Mr. Limbaugh. Thank you for having me. You bet. So I attend a Catholic school in Strongsville, Ohio, and every Friday we have a current event topic, and we pick a side, and we debate about it. So it usually ends up being political. So this week our topic is whether or not it should be easier for immigrants to become U.S. citizens. So I was wondering if you could help me with this problem. I can give you the, the overall theory of immigration that has always governed the subject in the United States. And in a nutshell, when you attach the question, should it be difficult to become a citizen, yeah, it should be. And it's, it's not overly hard as it is now, but it should require some commitment. Because the United States, and this is probably what you're going to have trouble finding on the web. I'm giving you, this, this is opinion, but it really isn't. It's, it's opinion based on my knowledge of the founding of the country and how the country was intended to be and what it became. And there's no other country like this in the world. There is no country in the world like the United States, not even free Western democracies. We are the only country in the world with a constitution that limits the government, that provides for the privacy of the citizen over government. We do not have a constitution that limits what people can do. We have a, a constitution that limits the government. That, has, that had never been done before in the history of the world. Most people, uh, Delia, even today, most people alive today live under some form of dictatorship or tyranny and have nowhere near the freedoms that we in the United States have. They, they don't have anywhere near the economic freedom and liberty or prosperity that we have, which is why we're such a, a targeted destination for people. We stand out. Uh, and it's precisely because this country was founded on the basis that human freedom and human liberty and the human mind unfettered leads to exceptionalism and greatness. Not that we're better than any other people on the earth, but because we have fewer restraints and restrictions on us that we are freer to reach our potential as individuals and as a population. Well, this led to the establishment of a distinct American culture. And by culture, I mean rules and regulations and morality by which the citizens of America live by. And this culture was itself rooted in the premise of individual liberty, where you could pursue happiness while living your life unafraid of what you think, unafraid of what you say, unafraid of where you go because your government does not have the power to penalize you for it. So this kind of unshackling of the human being led to untold innovation and progress, economic prosperity. And it, our population growth, you know, we purchased Louisiana Purchase and won some territories. The population growth of this country coupled with that unique never-before-seen-in-the-world freedom and liberty unleashed a population like the 
the world had never seen. Nations had been around for thousands of years, say, in Europe or the Middle East. We, in less than 200 years, had eclipsed them by a factor of 10 in just basic standard of living circumstances. Simple things as like as plumbing, sanitation of water, inventions such as air conditioning and flight and electricity and so forth, leading the world in all kinds of innovation, led to untold millions of people wanting to come here. In order to preserve this country, it ought to be a very specific task for somebody not a citizen to become one. If they come here via legal immigration, they do have to take a test. And those who endeavor to become citizens and pass the test, it's one of the most proud days of their lives. If you've ever been to a naturalization ceremony or ever seen one televised, it is one of the proudest days of their lives to become, quote, unquote, an American. They learn the language. They become familiar with the customs. They do not sacrifice their nationality. If they arrive here as Italians, they're still Italians, Italian-Americans, but they become Americans. It's a good thing to become an American, to be a participant in this unique, distinct culture. Well, what's happening is that that unique, distinct culture is being diluted and watered down by record numbers of illegal immigrants who want to become citizens, but do not want to have to do anything required to become a citizen other than show up. And that's why so many of us feel the country is at risk and threatened. We are a nation with a culture and a society worth preserving as as hard as it takes, as long as it takes, as, as much as it takes to preserve it. And we're under assault. There are people who think that our society is exclusionary, it's unfair, it discriminates, And all of that is literally a bunch of caca. We have in the past had problems. No nation on earth has done more to address discrimination, injustice. And it's an ongoing thing that the people of this country engage in each and every day while being accused of being racist, sexist, bigots, and homophobes. But I'm drifting away here. The bottom line is that America is so valuable to the world. America is so important Preserving the culture that led to this exceptionalism is worth preserving, and it ought to be hard. It ought to take some effort to become an American. If you have grown up and you've not been educated and you have to come here, you want to become a citizen, well, you need to learn what it takes. People born here grow into it. And that birthright, if you're born here, you're a citizen, so you don't take any tests. You just grow up and hopefully you become an American. We're in charge. Every nation should be in charge of who gets in and who doesn't. Every nation should have the ultimate right to determine who gets in and becomes a citizen and who doesn't. There's nothing discriminatory about that. There's nothing unfair about that. It's necessary to preserve the country as is. It's why we have borders and so forth. So the short answer to the question is, yeah, it should not be easier to become a citizen. It's not that hard now. But it takes some level of commitment. You want to see some degree of commitment. Anything. Nothing in life should be easy. Nothing worthwhile is easy, Delia. Everything worthwhile does take some effort. In some cases, a lot of it. That's Rush in public with a great lesson on how we can communicate American exceptionalism and why immigration matters. 
and now Rush in private. Rush always wanted to share everything about his life. And today, Catherine has shared something incredibly personal and beautiful with us. This is a short conversation between Rush and Catherine about the plans for Rush's funeral. So I am walking with Rush and explaining to him his event. And I told him all he has to do is show up, which I've also arranged. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and it is an event. And it's awesome. I mean, I hope you get invited to it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, what she just described to me is incredible. I'm sorry, I'm going to miss it. But <laughs> You're going to have a front row seat. But uh, I, I just said to her, I can't believe it's it's so cool. Yeah. I, I can't believe I'm sitting here talking to her about my funeral. But we decided that but, we would be open and direct on it so that we can plan it very beautifully and I told Rush that he is just shy of a president and presidents get this kind of treatment so he deserves that so that's a little heads up on what's coming it's gonna be beautiful be there or be square Rush don't be late that's up to you (laughs) that's a husband and wife in an incredible moment and did you hear our Rush with dignity and humor and even excitement. Catherine Limbaugh joins us for your phone calls next on the EIB Network. It's Todd Herman filling in for our too soon departed friend, Rush Limbaugh. It's an incredible honor now to welcome Rush's beloved wife, Catherine, to Rush's show. Uh, Catherine, that was an extraordinary gift you gave us of that audio clip of you and your husband speaking. And I speak for millions of listeners when I say thank you. You're absolutely welcome. It's great to be here with you again. I um, I just want to ask off the bat, how are you faring? You know, I, I'm doing okay. Of course, it's a very difficult time, but I really, truly feel we are all going through this process together, and it's very much a process, and I think it helps us to all be together and grieve in a sense and keep our rush with us in that way. You know, uh, there are just millions of people uh, listening to this who've grown up like I did with your husband, Catherine, and I've seen the pictures that are going to be at RushLimbaugh.com of what you called the event in this yeah. uh, this clip with Rush with this, this optimism, even at that point. Yeah. And it looks like an incredible event. So can you talk us through this funeral for your husband? Absolutely. So that, that conversation happened last year in about October. And we were walking um, around our house and just talking briefly about his upcoming event. (laughs) We used the word event because that was a little bit more um, fun (laughs) than the other. Um, But, yes, we we did plan this throughout all of last year, knowing that at some point the, the day would come. Obviously, it came a lot sooner than we would have hoped and liked, but... We did have a, a plan in place. The only problem was we had hoped to invite a lot of Russia's friends, a lot of colleagues, and a lot of the listening audience. Um, but due to COVID, we, we couldn't do that. So it could only be an extremely limited number of immediate family, which is why I wanted to share a bit with you now um, so that you could all feel as though you were a part of it in some way. 
So yes, in that clip you heard Rush laughing about his upcoming events, <laughs> and it went exactly as, as he thought it would and, and had heard about. I obviously left out a few key details that he didn't really need to know, but he, he knew the majority, and he was very actually excited, so that can give you some, some comfort. Um, but Rush was buried last Wednesday in St. Louis, Missouri, at a wonderful cemetery called Bellefontaine. It could also be pronounced Bell Fountain Cemetery in St. Louis, Missouri. It was an absolutely gorgeous day, slightly chilly, but nothing like the snow that Missouri had had a few days prior. The sun was shining brightly in, in the really crisp air. And this cemetery is very historic. It has a lot of historic figures, such as William Clark of Lewis and Clark Expedition, and others, and just to picture it, it might remind you a bit of Arlington or other historic cemeteries around the world with winding hills and pathways and big trees that are bare right now, but in the upcoming months they will be full and green and, and very lovely to, to walk around. But as I said in, in that clip, I, I have always said Rush is just shy of a president, in my opinion, and needed a funeral that was very worthy of him. So we concentrated a lot on tradition and ceremony at every turn. From the moment that he left the house here in Palm Beach, there was a procession escorting Rush to the transport plane that would take him to St. Louis. And then when we arrived in St. Louis, there was a procession leading to the cemetery. So he was never left alone in, in any aspect of this. And then once we got to the cemetery, there was a horse-drawn carriage waiting for him. And it was simply stunning. There will be some pictures for you to see. But you could hear the clacking of the horse hooves as we walked through the cemetery following behind Rush. You could hear the singing of the birds. It was very peaceful, very beautiful. And we followed behind the horse-drawn carriage until we reached the chapel. And when we reached the chapel, we had a small service in the, the chapel, which is located in the cemetery. Rush was escorted into the chapel um, to his favorite version of the Battle Hymn of the Republic. And you can picture hearing that song and seeing the American flag draped over Rush at, at the front of the chapel. It was perfectly fitting and absolutely beautiful. And then once we had a, a small ceremony there within the chapel, we followed behind Rush again in the carriage leading down towards the burial site. And it was just stunning, if you can imagine, looking forward through a, a winding road to see this beautiful carriage with Rush in it um, and then flags around his gravesite. So as we approached the gravesite, you could see these beautiful American flags waving in the wind, and the sun was shining directly on that spot. It couldn't have been more fitting. So Rush was escorted to his final resting place. We prayed around Rush, and we also played some of his favorite music, such as America the Beautiful by Ray Charles, and also a musical version of The Irish Blessing, which we knew Rush loved. So it was absolutely stunning with a, a beautiful oak tree overhead, the, the sun shining directly on Rush, very patriotic and very worthy of him.
Oh, it sounds uh, everything that Rush deserved. There's going to be pictures at RushLimbaugh.com, and we'll only have about 30 seconds before we'll go to a quick break. I just wanted to tell you in that sound clip I heard, I heard a Rush who was probably given to reaching over occasionally and, and holding your hand. He sounded, uh, uh, I, just, I just have this picture of him just with such warmth towards you. Absolutely. And we laughed a good portion of the yeah. time. You also, you also know Rush's side. He was very sarcastic, yeah. as am I. So a good portion of the time we laughed. We, we made fun of, of the upcoming event in That's a way, but, but it was clearly very serious and, and, and an important uh, moment yeah. in time. It is. Uh, Catherine Limbaugh is with us. When we come back, you have the extraordinary opportunity uh, to talk with Catherine uh, about her rush and to learn more about our rush, her rush, and our rush, one person but known in different ways. So you can be on the phones at 800-282-2882. And I do encourage you to gather any and all fans of the Maha, America's Anchorman, the truth detector, as his beloved wife Catherine shares more about this experience on the EIB Network. And at this point, Rush Limbaugh's great love of his life, his wife, Catherine Limbaugh, joins us on Rush's show. Your calls at 800-282-2882. I'm going to take host prerogative quickly, Catherine, if it's okay. I'm going to get to the phones. Uh, I heard you talk with Mark Stein, and it was an extraordinary conversation. I just want to see if I can boil this down to a time when you met Rush. Can you think to the time where you realized that um, you had begun to really love this man? Right away, the first time that we went out for dinner, I, I spoke about that, about that last time, but when we went out to dinner, he just was so incredibly well-spoken, as you can imagine. He was a gentleman, he was kind, but also he was very funny, and our humor connected right away at the beginning. So I would say years and years ago, I first knew that I, I loved him, and over the years, it's obviously grown with even more deep admiration. That's just a beautiful story. And with your permission, we'll talk with Liz in Hubert, North Carolina. Liz, you're on with Mrs. Um, Catherine Limbaugh. Catherine, thank you so much for sharing these moments with with us. Um, I am so thankful for the last 17 years as a military wife. I have moved a lot. I have four small children. My husband's deployed four times. And there have been many days where I... And trying to make new friends or away from family and there's some loneliness and I have always had rush to turn on and I, I've always known that he's going to be there to speak truth and reason um, into a world that sometimes it doesn't make sense and I have always been so thankful for the his message of hope and his inspiration. I look back on my life and I'm so thankful that I found him early. I started listening in 92 at, at 12 and I start thinking about conservatism and I can look back and I count those every time I spoke up in high school and in college against um, policies that I know are not right and are not good. And he inspired me to do that. He gave me the courage to, to actually just say, Hey, there's a different way. Hey, let's try this. And I have always loved that. And as our, our four children have grown and our Rush babies, before we bought the books, we bought the CDs with Rush's voice um, of of all the Rush Revere books. And we listen to them, kind of like old serials with the family around and the kids around. And they, they listen over and over. And I know that that, I've just really recently realized that's a lot of you that has inspired that and written that. We just... Thank you for Rush's voice, and thank you for your voice and the time and energy you put into that, because it has made 
a difference in my life. I'm thankful for Rush's influence and where I, who I am because, um, you know, he made me a better conservative. He made me, um, I'm just so, so thankful for this beautiful life I've created and his influence. And, and I just realized now there's, you had a huge part in that. And I want to say thank you. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for, you, for what you've done to write and to support Rush. Thank you, Liz. Thank you. Thank you, Liz, so much for calling in and taking the time. And I really appreciate what you said about, about the military in particular. I completely understand what it's like to move a lot. I did as well. And missing Rush and having that stability, I can completely relate to you on that as well as millions that are listening. So thank you for your service, first and foremost. I know that's, that's a very difficult role to be at home while your husband's deployed with your children. So kudos to you for, for doing that on our behalf. And then secondly, in terms of, of how Rush helped to shape your life, I think he did do that with so many. And what I want to encourage people to do as we go forward is to continue that and and say to yourself, what would Rush want me to do or what would he encourage me to do or what would Rush think on this? And I think that's our best way of of continuing Rush forward. And on my side, I will certainly continue the books in some respect. Um, In fact, since William Clark is in (laughs) St. Louis along with Rush, maybe Rush Revere will have to go and explore the... (laughs) the gateway to the west uh, we will see but but i will certainly do my part to to keep um rush and rush revere alive so that younger generations can hear the the great stories of our founding liz thank you so much for sharing with us and i joined Catherine in thanking you for your uh, for your service and, and Catherine, i think we might have just heard a uh, new rush revere book born uh, courtesy of where Rush is, is, uh, has been laid to rest. Uh, I, I, yeah, I think that would be terrific. And I wanted to ask you, I talked to someone who escorted your husband to Afghanistan um, and was there when Rush talked to a young girl who was going to school for the first time. And the Taliban had been stricken from the area. Rush was in this dangerous position uh, area, but talking to her and that he didn't speak her language, but he was so intent in listening to her. And it's just a heartwarming story. I wanted to ask you, what was Rush like around kids? You know, it's funny. He was always nervous because I think he felt that he didn't know how to connect. But I've heard from so many people who have children they have said he was wonderful with children. In fact, a, a close friend of mine was eight at the time, and he was going through brain cancer. And Rush met him and had breakfast with him every morning, and he shared a story with me that Rush was as kind and able to connect as anyone possibly could be. So I think he was his own worst critic, but he was actually wonderful with children. <laughs> That doesn't surprise me, given Rush's creativity and and zeal and humor. Uh, Let's talk to Jerry in Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, Jerry, you're on with Catherine Limbaugh. Welcome. Thank you so very much. Catherine, thank you for coming back on. I'm going to try to keep it together. Um, I wanted to ask you if you would tell us some reminiscences about Rush with your animals. Um, I listened, I've been listening to him for decades and remember hearing him talk about pumpkin. And so he was a cat guy. And then when you came into his life, 
and you got the dogs, and you didn't just get any dogs. You got old English sheep dogs. That's a lot of dogs. <laughs> I would. I have a Spinoni Italiano. I've had a Golden Retriever, so I'm a big dog person, medium to big dog person. So when you got a sheep dog, I thought, holy heck! But I would love to hear about Rush with with your dogs, and and I know he loved all your animals. I also just wanted to say. I'm so very sorry, and I think about I think about you, and I think about Rush every day, and it gives me a little bit of peace to think about Rush playing golf with all the greats. Absolutely. And I also like to think about his dad meeting him and telling him how proud he was. Yeah. Yes. And again, I, I am so sorry for your loss. I hear it in your voice, and I share that sentiment as, as well as so many who are listening. But an uplifting story in in terms of the dogs and Pumpkin and Allie. So Rush absolutely loved his cat. That that definitely was a first love. So (laughs) Pumpkin was was primary. And then after Pumpkin passed, I drove up actually to Jacksonville to try to find a Pumpkin number two. And um, I did. I, I brought back a surprise in Allie the cat. So Rush absolutely loved this this cat. It was, it was so funny to see them together because here he is, this larger life person who just came off the radio speaking to millions, and now he's really being run by <laughs> this little cat, Allie, who wanted to be fed and petted and everything, but he adored her. She slept right next to him in bed and actually woke him up often to to go and be fed, but in terms of the dogs, he loved them. So we started with one, Abby, who is the uh, queen of the pack, and then we continued on with four. So we have four very large and hairy old English sheepdogs who we consider our kids, and Rush was definitely the sweeter of the two of us to them. <laughs> I adored them, <laughs> but I was a strict a strict uh, rule enforcer, but he was not. He He would always give them extra treats and extra biscuits, so they loved him. <laughs> Whenever I was away, he would make sure that he was raiding the uh, biscuit jar and giving them all plenty of treats, <laughs> so he loved to call himself Mr. Dog Biscuit, and he said, they only love me because I'm Mr. Dog Biscuit, and I said, no, they, they love you more than that, but <laughs> so he, he was great with them. He loved to walk in the yard with them and, and always went in before work or after work and said, Abby, Abby was certainly his, his favorite um, out of the group. Catherine, um, I hope that Rush's audience hears this extraordinary moment that Rush was a worldwide celebrity known by one name. Yeah. Uh, and yet his wife, you are sharing him with us in this way. I don't know that I've ever heard this done and we'll continue to take calls, but I just want to again, thank you for your grace and your vulnerability. Thank you for sharing this with us. You're most welcome. All right, we'll continue with Catherine Limbaugh on the only EIB Network. It's Todd Herman uh, filling in for our departed friends who left us way too soon. Rush Limbaugh with his beloved wife, Catherine, so gracious to spend time with us today. And Catherine, one quick host question. Do you have something you carry with you that reminds you of Rush? I mean, obviously you have the memories and and frankly, he lives everywhere, given uh, how much of an impact he made on this country. But is there any keepsake you keep um, to remind you of Rush? Absolutely. In fact, I have it on every day. I have his wedding ring mm-hmm. uh, that is around my neck with a cross. So I have that every day with me everywhere. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture. 
Let's talk to um, Paul in Parkland, Florida. Paul, you're on uh, Rush's show with Rush's beloved wife, Catherine. Hello, Todd, and hello, Catherine. It's so nice to, that you were taking these calls again. Quickly, um, I was told to keep it short, so I will. I spoke with Rush several several years ago, and I was always trying to get to talk to him again. But in any case, moving right along up to up towards the end there, I got a gut punch when he said he had been diagnosed. And I had two brothers who were diagnosed and gone within six weeks of the diagnosis. So every day that went by, the rush was still there. I was very grateful to, to still hear him. And then as time got close towards the, uh, the end here, he had, uh, I saw him on the Ditto Cam. I listened to him on, on the radio. He was so enthusiastic. He was right there. He was 100% the whole time, and I was terribly impressed with that. And then all of a sudden, there was a lot of guest hosts, and it was treatment week, and it dragged out. And I think I was started to worry. And then uh, when I heard you on the radio that day, I just fell to pieces. But in any case, I was wanting to know, when did, you, when did you know, when did Rush know that it was time that he couldn't do it anymore? Because I know he would do it no matter what. If he could get himself at a microphone, he would. But when did he finally, uh, you two sat and probably made a decision, it's time for him to just uh, kick back and, and, and let uh, nature take his course? Sure, and, and thank you so much for your, your call. I think, honestly, this is something that Rush would not mind me sharing because I think he'd be proud of it. So it's, it is a little, a little more intimate, I guess, but I, I will share with you that he, he was always committed to the radio and to all of you. He adored it, and it was the, the one thing that kept him going throughout. To be honest, he probably didn't feel well enough to do the show a good, <laughs> a good portion of the time, but that wasn't going to deter him at all. He was 100% committed to the campaign, to President Trump, and all of last year he, he would not take no for an answer in terms of, of going on the show. So he pushed forward as, as often as he could. And then towards this year and, and what happened recently, the blessing, and I think this will give all of you some comfort, um, is Rush really didn't know uh, that it was his last show. He didn't know that day that he spoke to all of you and had a, a wonderful show that that was, in fact, the last time that he would be at the studio. So he left that day thinking that he would be coming back the next day, and unfortunately he just got a little bit sicker and sicker by the day, and we had to, to take a, a bit of an emergency action for him. But the, the blessing in this is that he knew he was going to heaven, but he didn't know that that was his, his final show and, and, and didn't know that he would not be speaking with all of you directly again. So that does provide some comfort uh, that it was, it was peaceful and, and unknown. That is an incredible amount of comfort. And you mentioned Rush knowing he was going to heaven, uh, Catherine Limbaugh. Um, I have to imagine that gives you a great deal of comfort. Absolutely, yes. We talked about it all the time, and you may recall he always said practically every show that he thanks God for for being um, able to wake up that day. And that's really how he took it, one day at a time, and, and knew that it was God's plan, and, and we, would, we would go forward as, as we needed to. But he knew ultimately that he would uh, return to heaven and, and be greeted by everyone who's gone before him. Yeah, I wanted to ask uh, quickly, as we've got about a minute and a half left with uh, Catherine Limbaugh, um, is there anything we can do for you? Oh, thank you. Honestly, just knowing the, the um, numbers of people that are out there grieving gives me 
comfort, not because they're grieving, because we're sharing in it together. I've read so many wonderful messages, and all of what you're saying is, is so kind. And I just encourage you all to carry on what Rush started, and that would give me such comfort to know that Rush will live on through all of us, and we will continue his mission and, and continue to support our wonderful country as he would want. I've spoken with people, uh, Catherine Limbaugh, who uh, became sober because of Rush, started yeah. businesses because of Rush. I myself got into the tech business and had a career I couldn't have ever imagined because of the words your husband shared. The greatest professional honor I ever had was sitting in this seat, filling in for your husband, and that's now uh, just topped by getting this opportunity to speak to you. And I hope that you will make a habit, um, and this is you know, far be it for me to ask, but I hope that you will connect with this audience as this show continues, as we continue to feature Rush's wisdom and his voice. I, I just, uh, as one listener to many, to you, it's an incredible comfort to hear you. Absolutely, and, and he has always considered you all an extended part of our family, and I do as well, and I want to make sure you all listening know how much we, we care about you and, and share in your grief. So I will be here as often as you would like to hear me. Unfortunately, I'm not Rush, but I will, I'll try my best. <laughs> yeah, no one is. No one is. Well, Catherine, uh, go with God's good grace and comfort, and we thank you so very much today. You're very welcome. All the best to everyone. Indeed. This is Todd Herman thanking you for Catherine Limbaugh on the EIB Network. I just got the most amazing news. Catherine Limbaugh is going to stay with us and continue to talk to uh, us, Russia's audience, uh, about her husband. And if you didn't hear and you're just jumping into the program, as Rush would say, new listeners joining every single second. Um, you didn't hear an extraordinary piece of audio, which is going to be at RushLimbaugh.com, as I understand it, uh, with some amazing pictures as Rush Limbaugh was uh, laid to rest uh, in a beautiful setting, in a uh, setting with famous Missourians, and certainly what Rush deserves. So as we roll through this, I would just ask you to reflect on something. When was the last time? the wife or husband of a celebrity. And I didn't I never thought of Rush as a celebrity. I always thought of him as a, a professor and a and a patriot and an activist and a leader. And of course he, the reason he was so successful or one of them is he entertained us while he did all those things. You don't build a radio show like this without that talent on loan from God, as Rush would say. Extraordinary to be able to visit with Catherine Limbaugh, who's decided to stay for the next segment to continue to talk with you. It's Todd Herman. Just an honor to fill in, as always, on the EIB Network. Why are people still on the fence about owning gold and silver? I just don't understand. Have we already forgotten about regional bank closures, inflation, global instability, and the potential for serious world conflicts? You can look to precious metals for various reasons. One, having tangible currency on hand as part of your bug-out plan. Two, diversifying your portfolio as a hedge against inflation. And three, historically, gold increases in value over time. You keep yourself informed about global events. You see the increase in conflicts around the globe. Countries are buying and hoarding massive amounts of gold. Why aren't you? It's time to pull the trigger with the Oxford Gold Group and buy gold and silver. Nobody can predict the future, but we can't put our head in the sand either. The people with Oxford Gold Group are real pros. They make owning gold and silver simple and easy to understand. 
Call Oxford Gold Group right now, and you may qualify for up to $10,000 in free precious metals. Call 833-995-GOLD. That's 833-995-GOLD. One more time, 833-995-G-O-L-D. The number one fantasy sports app in America is Prize Picks. It's the easiest and most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Five million members already active on Prize Picks. If you've not yet downloaded Prize Picks, do it today. Unlike other apps on Prize Picks, it's just you against the number. It's about the players and not the teams. You look for the sports you know best and that you follow the most. Then you make a single decision on each player projection, more or less, every time you play. You pick two to six players and make that one decision. You can win up to 100 times your money on prize picks with as little as four picks. More player action on prize picks now than ever, and it's the best way to get action on sports in more than 30 states now. Prize picks also gives you injury insurance so your picks stay in play even if one of your players gets injured. Download the free prize picks app and open your account. Use my name, Clay, for a first deposit match. Up to $100. Download the Prize Picks app. Use promo code CLAY, that's C L A Y, to get set up and get a deposit match up to $100. Pick more, pick less. It's that easy. Look, I'm a two way guy. Second Amendment, all about it. I appreciate the sport of shooting. I appreciate marksmanship. I appreciate the right to bear arms and to defend oneself. I also respect the craftsmanship of a well made firearm at a phenomenal price. My first career out of college put me in parts of the world where, you know what, I had to have a firearm to protect myself. Years later, I keep myself trained and in shape with my firearms. Going to the gun range with my brothers on the weekend, that's a regular event for us. It's a great time to come together, and it helps keep our skills sharp. So if you're a firearms enthusiast like me, or you have one in your life, let me tell you about the industry's best-kept secret, Bear Creek Arsenal. They offer a wide range of premium calibers at a fraction of what the competition does. How does Bear Creek Arsenal do it? There's no middleman fees. That's how. I own one of their AR-15s. It is an incredible firearm. They know what they're doing. Discover Bear Creek Arsenal. Go online to bearcreekarsenal.com slash buck. That's bearcreekarsenal.com slash B-U-C-K. Use my name, Buck, as your promo code for 10% off your first order. You're going to be amazed at the incredible quality of their firearms and the unbeatable price. BearCreekArsenal.com slash Buck. Use the name Buck to get that 10% off your first order. Sometimes in life, you pinch yourself and you say, I'm truly, uh, I am hosting Rush's show. He's departed to heaven. And I'm speaking with Rush's wife, Catherine. And Catherine Limbaugh has decided to stay over this segment to speak with more of you and Catherine, thank you for this. This is an incredible gift. Thank you for doing this. Absolutely. Happy to. I want to ask you one question, and I want to get into phone calls. People are so anxious to talk to you. Um, Rush, to a lot of us, was a professor. He was an activist. He was a political thinker. He was uh, an intelligence. And also, this radio show became successful based upon his ability to hold an audience. Did he consider himself an entertainer at all? He considered himself an entertainer, but he knew he had to be entertaining, if that, <laughs> if that makes sense. So he really, he wanted always to make people laugh. He knew the subject matter was incredibly important, but what made him different and what he knew made him different was he put a 
spin to it that was funny and, and made people turn off the radio and, and be inspired but also laugh a bit um, despite the very serious topics. So I would say he considered himself entertaining. <laughs> oh, that's a perfect way to put it. That's a perfect way to put it. There's so many people anxious to talk to you. Let's roll this off and kick it off with Mike in Cape Coral, Florida. Mike, you are on the Rush Limbaugh program with Rush's beloved wife, Catherine. Welcome. Thanks, Todd. Uh, Catherine, my deepest and, and, and most uh, sincere condolences. <clears throat> uh, I'm sorry. <clears throat> um, I just want to thank you for that, that very um, descriptive, um, audible um, reaccount of Russia's funeral. Um, I've been blind for the past 16 years, and so to hear it, uh, uh, such detail given, yeah, I thought God was there. Oh, um, I'm so glad, oh, Mike. That's, that's what I was hoping, and I'm so sorry for the loss that I can hear. Um, you know, it's it's funny that I, I took notes at the Limbaugh Institute for Conservative Studies, just like you <laughs> and just like all of the listeners. And I remember Rush always said, you need to paint a picture in people's minds, and you need to let people feel as they can be a part of it. And that that's what I, I hope to do. Um, not quite as well as, as he did, but I, I hope to give you that. So thank you so much. I, I'm very glad that you could you could imagine being there. Thank you. Mike, thank you for phoning Russia's show and, and uh, for sharing your emotion with us and, and being open about that. We, we do appreciate it. Uh, Catherine, when Rush was laid to rest, uh, can I ask, it was a small ceremony, COVID and the, the lockdown prescriptions prevented a greater a number of people there. May I ask just roughly who was there and it was family and friends. And uh, obviously it's a funeral and people are sad, but I heard this extraordinary clip of you and Rush talking in October about the event and Russia's optimism, um, was there that mix of happiness or optimism in, in, in this small group? And who was there, if I might ask? Sure. It really was only immediate family. The COVID restrictions were, were quite tight, so it was our immediate family. We, we hoped we could have had a lot more people, a lot more friends, but unfortunately we couldn't. So it was just immediate family. I would say that there was optimism in the sense that Rush was on his way to heaven, but also that it was very patriotic and very worthy of him. So I, I think there was a sense of, of pride in the family um, that, that Rush had lived such a wonderful life and now was, was buried in the respect that he deserved. It's wonderful. And thank you for sharing these photos with us, folks. Those will be at, uh, at RushLimbaugh.com. Let's talk to Scott in Jacksonville, Florida. Scott, you're on the Rush Limbaugh program with Mrs. Catherine Limbaugh. Uh, Catherine, hi. Um, long-time listener, 25-plus years, and I'm, I'm so sorry Russia's not with us anymore. But my question is, I've always been curious about if you all had any semblance of a so-called normal life. I mean, did you get to go shopping? Did you go, uh, I mean, so many wonderful restaurants in Palm Beach. Did, did you ever just spontaneously go out to dine and, and if so did he have to wear a disguise or, or <laughs> did y'all have any <laughs> <normal> <laughs> <storm>? <laughs> however 
it's it's funny because Rush would always say he specialized in hermits. So <laughs> his favorite thing to do was definitely <laughs> to stay home and, and read his iPad and study for the show and, and work. That's without question. If not that, then he likely would be golfing or, or something else. But we, we couldn't go out to dinner too freely. He was very, very well recognized and, and people would come up. But the, the one thing is, everyone who came up in all the years of us going out, all were friendly and all were fans, and they felt as though they knew him personally, which made him a, a different kind of celebrity. They would come over and talk about his cats or, or anything. Um, so there was a mix of that. There was a little bit of opportunity to, to go out, but probably not really freely um, as, as one would, would have it in, in a free sort of sense. Thank you for that, Scott. Thank you for the question and uh, all the years of supporting Rush's program. Uh, Catherine, what do you wish women in general knew about your husband? I mean, I, I, I was uh, both you know sad and, and heartbroken hearing you talk with Mark Stein, but it was such an extraordinary interview. And you talked about Rush being on the C list for this event. You were a, you know, <laughs> a golf tournament. Uh, what, and then you met him and realized, oh, my goodness, we've made this tremendous mistake. He's this beautiful gentleman. What do you wish women in general knew about your Rush Limbaugh? Absolutely. That's the one thing that that is talked about sometimes in the media, and and he's demeaned and and not characterized in the right way, so I'm I'm happy to talk about that. He was an incredible gentleman in every sense of the word. He was so polite, not only to me, not only to women, but really to to everyone. Um, He was was a, a true and utter old soul in that in that way he would open the the door for me he would make sure that i was seated he would pull out the chair behind me he was he was everything that you would hope a a gentleman would be um he was very much that and i i sometimes hear things out there in, in the media and say that's nothing like our rush and so we will continue to to counter that image of him because it's not remotely true a, a true gentleman in every sense I love hearing you say it that way. I just love the way you express this love for your husband. Uh, Bonnie in Lexington, Texas, welcome to the program Rush Limbaugh built and the love of his life, Catherine Limbaugh. Welcome, Bonnie. Thank you, Todd. Hello, Catherine. Thank you for doing this for all of us. I want to say that every single one of us, over the years that we've listened to Rush, we've learned so much from him but I must say that in this past year, he taught every single one of us how to live until we die, because he never minced words about it. He was very forthcoming with us, and as hard as it was to believe it, to know that it would happen, he did teach us how to live until we die, and now you are showing us how to live, how to go on without him. And I just want to thank you for that. It's tremendously encouraging that we can endure all of this together. And we do miss him tremendously. And it's still difficult to wrap our heads around that he isn't here now. Thank you so much, and and I'm truly glad to be here and be able to talk with all of you and 
feel you're part of, of our extended family and be able to grieve together. It is such an incredible loss. The void is tremendous. We all feel it. But I think we're trying our best to say, what would Rush want of us? And I know he's said this to me many times personally. He wants me to go on. He wants us all to carry on. And he wants our country to remain a wonderful, miraculous country. So that's, that's my hope and mission is, is to inspire all of us to carry on in, in, in Russia's honor and do what he would want us to do, which is continue his mission and continue to fight for our incredible country and conservative values. Thank you very much, Bonnie, for the phone call. Um, Catherine Limbaugh, you've been so kind to stay over a segment. I can tell you that, that uh, Russia's audience would talk to you for weeks at a time. I've taken so much of your time. Um, may I ask this, this closing question? Uh, I watched the president bestow upon your husband the Medal of Freedom. Yeah. And I truly believe in all the years I observed your husband as um, a personality and thinker and, and celebrity – I do not believe I ever saw him shocked. Uh, what did you feel when you saw Rush's response to uh, receiving that medal? He was truly and utterly touched by that. We have deep respect and appreciation for Donald Trump doing that in such a manner that it could be seen literally all over the world. And that, that was a huge moment in Rush's life. It was it was a moment that he will never forget and I will never forget. He was overcome by emotion and, and felt so proud of, of being able to be there, to be honored in such a, a way by, by President Trump. It, it was remarkable. And what you saw on TV was exactly how he was feeling. He, he was stunned, thinking, I'm just a, a young man from Cape Girardeau starting out, and here I am now. Um, it, was, it was tremendous, and, and we are deeply, deeply appreciative to, to President Trump for that, that honor. And no one deserved it more, uh, given how he stood up for freedom and freedom of speech. Um, I want to thank you again uh, for your extraordinary commitment to this audience and, and this time. And I'll just close with one question for you. Is there any specific prayer you or the family would like at this time of uh, grieving? You know, I, I listen and read prayers every single day. It's helping to, to get through. But I, I spoke to Vice President Pence the other day. He phones very kindly along with with Karen Pence, and he left me with um, a, a, a bit of, of a prayer that says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. And I have that written on a piece of paper that I carry around with me, and it, it's just very inspirational. I thought that was something nice to, to keep with us. The, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. Well, let the Lord be close to you and the Limbaugh family and the extended family and the extended family beyond that. Uh, so gracious again to spend this extra segment with us. Uh, it's your husband's program. Clearly, anytime you want on, you simply <laughs> call and that happens. And, and, and I can tell you right now, just uh, by the way the phones are going, it, it would be an extraordinary thing to do again. So thank you so much for your time, Catherine. Absolutely. God bless you all. Thank you. It's Todd Herman filling in for the only Maharashi we'll ever have on the only EIB network. Ah, everybody okay? What an extraordinary gift to spend time with Catherine Limbaugh. And I asked her this question, did Rush consider himself an entertainer? She said, no, he considered himself entertaining. And that that was to hold the audience's attention because of the gravity of the subject matter. I, I can tell you just observing as a radio guy or as a media guy, the way Ray Charles would sit at a piano 
and play out a song is the same way Rush Limbaugh would sit behind the Golden Hippie microphone and play the mainstream media. In fact, last week on this program, we replayed a clip, a clip that Rush was discussing one of his all-time favorite great moments on the radio. It was the day he, quote, endorsed Bill Clinton, and it set the nation on fire until everyone figured out it was a gag. So we had a huge, overwhelming demand from the audience to find an actual clip of that show. So the EIB team dug into the archives, and now we take you all the way back to October 29, 1992. I actually have the shakes. I do not want to do the show today. My friends, it's just this simple. I've changed my mind on the presidential race. And if the mood of this country is not where I am right now, then I'm the one that's going to have to change. Um, Here at 12 minutes after the hour on the 22nd of October, I'm here to tell you that I have decided to endorse the candidacy of Bill Clinton for president. It's the only way I think the country can really, truly be saved. I've had to weigh my thoughts very carefully. I've had to weigh this decision. I've thought about it a lot. I've talked to a lot of people. I have not made this decision lightly. Let's see. What else do I have? I'm, I'm, I don't know. I'm, let me just go to the phones. Um, Camille in Brooklyn. Camille, hi. Rush Limbaugh, welcome to the program. Yes. I'm, I'm surprised you said that you're voting for Clinton. I'm, I'm really shocked. I can't believe you threw in the towel. You have to do what you think is right. But Clinton, that slime ball, how could you even think of uh, voting for that? Oh, my God. I, I just can't talk no more. I just can't. I'm sorry. Hmm. Well, see, that's, then, that's just that's an indication of how tough it is for everybody. What am I to do? Am I supposed to come in here and, 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 and make it up? Am I supposed to come here? I mean, how? I, it just the charade is I can't do that, folks. Phyllis in the Bronx in New York. Hello. Hello. My name is Phyllis. Yes, ma'am. I am a conservative. I am homesick today, but now I'm really sick. Rush, what are you doing to us? I'm sick and tired of the liberals in this country what who are, are pushing ta- our what, what, buttons. What, what are you talking about? I mean, you're backing Mr. You're ba- backing uh, Bill Clinton. I am not. I am You just said you're backing. I never said that. But I heard you say you, those words. No, 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 no. This is, you're just trying to twist my words and turn them around. I never said it. What did you say? Could, could you just tell me? You, you, you said you couldn't. You know, I can't even talk. I'm so upset. I'm, I'm practically ready for, for tears. You keep talking about something that happened 23 minutes ago. It's irrelevant. Uh, you, you know, Rush, I know what I heard. I'm sitting here and I'm listening to you. I listen to you every chance I get. Well, you're going to the guru you, of the conservatives. You're going to have to listen a little bit more closely, Phyllis, and, and you're going to have to think about the future. This, what happens in the past is irrelevant. It doesn't matter. Suzette uh, from Chicago, welcome to the program. You know, mega dittos and accolades, you are wonderful. I put on your show, and uh, I hit a coronary. And I'm listening to you, and I start to think, no. I know what you're doing, Rush. You're doing the Bill Clinton uh, flip-flop. You're... Uh, you know, this is really sad. 
this is no, 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 I mean, what you're doing is really great. You you can deny it. That's okay. But uh, would Bill? What do you mean? I can deny it. I did. I am denying it. I do deny it. Uh, well, you know, I never said I was for Clinton. I know. You know, you you people out there, you are so worried about my conservative views. <laughs> you're so you think I'm such a maniac out there. Now you're hearing me say things I've never said. Uh, you want to play the tape? I play the tape. I know what I said. I didn't say that. Okay. You know, I'd like to say one thing though. Is that. Uh, you really bring home a point. That I don't know what she's talking about. You keep you, this is going over and over. She just keeps making the same point here, and it's you know I've, we've been patient. Uh, you can deny it, dear sir, but I know what well, you're I doing. Did, I didn't say it. I mean, and uh, you still, I've had you on the phone here for what five minutes, and all you want to talk about is something that happened to what forty-five minutes ago. <laughs> I was younger then. <laughs> Sorry. I had not heard that from the day that uh, I, I remember being in Spokane. I'm, I'm in Spokane today. 590 KQ&T's let me use your studio. Uh, and I remember the program director coming to me. Your guy just flipped. He just flipped. He's, he's, he's gone in for Clinton. I thought, it's impossible. It's impossible. This didn't happen. And she figured it out. That's just... I I, I hope you don't feel weird that a like a, a junior rodeo clown fill-in is saying this from a perspective of a radio guy. But good Lord, I hear this now differently because I'm not driving in my car or working on a house or just I'm listening with headphones on. It's magical. The three decades that we've gotten of, of this, it's not performance. It was craft. And yes, he made a brilliant point, Rush did there, about I did not have sexual relations with that woman, which he did a far better job than I did. It's Todd Herman filling in for our departed friend Rush Limbaugh on the EIB Network. Just this past weekend, a regular listener to my Seattle show sent me um, from Rush's archive something he found about Rush explaining Lysenkoism which was a, a, a dynamic named after Joseph Stalin's house biologist, whereby so-called scientific research was twisted uh, in order to have a political outcome. And this is when the Democrats were talking about being poor changes your DNA so that you are, you are then genetically poor was the point they were making. And, and Rush, of course, took that on in the fashion that only Rush could. And, and people who didn't listen to Rush never understood the intellectual appeal of Rush's show, which is why I've said to folks, in terms of introducing people to Rush, use the Limbaugh letter. Because people will read that in a way that they, they, they can't consume the radio show because their, the, their defenses will be up. I don't want to be charmed by this guy. So now when you talk about the most influential figures in, in the intellectual American conservatism, it's Buckley, people who understood Reagan, it's Reagan, and it's Rush Limbaugh. And Rush discussed his relationship with Mr. Buckley on many occasions. Here's the first time he visited Buckley's home in Manhattan. I entered what I thought was a shrine. To my left was a harpsichord. He played the harpsichord. 
He wasn't playing it at the point at this time he played it. He was playing it when I walked in some time later to appear as his guest on Firing Line, taped in his living room, which is where I was escorted when we when I arrived. I can't, folks, can't describe how nervous I was. Uh, while at the same time uh, trying not to be and 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 just relax and, and be myself, um, I was escorted in. First, pre- and the room was full. I was one of the last to arrive because I'd driven around the block four times trying to get the courage up to go in. He was the first to stand up and greet me. That that that, that charismatic, just love of life smile welcomed me into that room as though I belonged there as much as any other guest did. Asked me what I wanted to drink. Uh, I said I'd like a Diet Coke. Sat down. Look at, fuck, I, I mean, these people are all, they're the smartest people in the world to me. These are the people that put out National Review. These are the people that, that helped Bill Buckley in his quest, uh, which was memorable. I mean, we owe Bill Buckley every bit the debt. We conservatives owe Bill Buckley every bit the debt that we owe Ronald Reagan. The two occurred simultaneously. Uh, and Reagan was also inspired and educated uh, quite a bit by Buckley. We're very, very close friends. We owe Buckley the same kind of gratitude. In my mind, I rank Bill Buckley as a founding father. Anyway, uh, Mr. Buckley prepared my Diet Coke, and I, I sat down, and uh, the conversation uh, was about, at the time I entered, they were talking about whether or not James Joyce could publish Ulysses if he tried to at that point today meaning it was so risque, could anybody publish it? And they were having a discussion about that in literature in general. You know, I'm <laughs> sitting here swimming, and this Diet Coke doesn't taste like Diet Coke. What is this? It tasted like, it, it tasted like mineral oil that had cola f- coloring in it. It wasn't long before Mrs. Buckley, Pat, made her grand entrance into the room after everybody else had arrived, coming down this sweeping staircase into that room. Everybody in that room shot up like jacks in the box. She came over to me, first off, welcomed me to their home, thanked me so much for what I had been saying about her husband and her son and the magazine and so forth. My Diet Coke was about half empty. She said, would you like a refill? What's that? I said, it's Diet Coke. So she took it. Took it over to Bill, fixed Mr. Limbaugh another one. She watched him fix it, I guess, because I'm in the middle of talking to somebody, and I hear her shout, Bill, what are you doing? I said Diet Coke. So I was right. It wasn't, I don't know what it was that he served me. Uh, but <laughs> don't read anything into this. It's just one of these things that I, I remember. But then we went into dinner, a uh, big circular table in the dining room, and the, and, and, the, and the conversation, and they all wanted to know what I thought about things. They all want to know how I go about doing my radio show. What's my point? What, what are the things I'm trying to accomplish? They were fans. It was one of the most memorable nights of my life, and I'll tell you why. Because at the time, there was a definable, respected by all conservative leader, and he was it. He had no ego. He didn't feel threatened by the arrival of other conservatives. He welcomed them. Bring them all in. Find out if they're legit. Find out if they're worth the imprimatur, but bring them in. And that night, I was made to feel welcome in the quote-unquote conservative movement as started by its leader. I can't describe how he made me feel that night.
he became a confidant and um, a friend and an advisor, and he became somebody that I could, um, you know, ask, what, 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 do you, what do you think would be the right way to handle a situation like this? And, uh, and he would he'd tell me. <clears throat> it was just, it was like having another father. In fact, I remember the first time, just remember this, the first time that I had him and uh, some other people over to my apartment in New York for dinner. We're having some brandy and cigars after dinner at my little circular dining room table. I forget how many. There might have been I think a dining room table could seat 12 people. Uh, and I, I guess I'd had one too many brandies, so I was a little less inhibited. And I stood up and I gave Bill a toast. This has to be 1996 or 97. So, I mean, this is, this is after I'd, I'd met him and known him for a long time and gotten to know him. And I told him, I said, I, you know, my father passed away in 1990, but... You make me think my dad's still alive here with me. And he started crying. Acted a little embarrassed. I said, well, I see you tearing up, but it's true. I think for all of the talk about how intelligent, I mean, that's not even the word to describe a genius. The amount of knowledge he acquired and was able to spit back on virtually anything, I was incomprehensible to me. His brain, his intellect, uh, his use of it, was indescribable, but I don't, and he had an ego. I mean, he knew who he was and he knew what he bestowed on people. He knew what his impact was, but he was still very humble and he was not accustomed to hearing a compliment like that when I told him, you know, my my father's still alive, Bill, you're here. And he kind of got choky, looked around, he looked looked at Pat and so forth. And, and uh, uh, I remember too, Gay and Stanley Gaines, some dear friends of mine from here were there that maybe Newt Gingrich too. That's right. When Newt was there, we had a Newt had invited a bunch of us when he was speaker to have dinner on the uh, terrace outside his office, and then we decided to do it again at a different place. And we did it at Buckley's place next time, and then and then uh, we did it at my place. And everybody came to my place to finish the uh, the troika of this. And I remember, you know, <laughs> I mean, it was it was funny. Newt and Buckley would have little arguments, and Buckley would Buckley would tell Newt what he thought, and vice versa. I mean, it was. I can't describe to you the thrill all of this uh, was for me to to be among such a giant and such an intellect and somebody who really. We, we, I mean, we throw this this term around conservative movement, and I I do think that that label that term narrows what we all are, you and I, what we believe. But at the time, you know, the, the conservatism was in the process of growing and expanding and, in the, and destroying the monopoly of the drive-by media. And we've gotten so big now that we've splintered. And everybody's trying to be the next Buckley, not in terms of who he was as a man, but in terms of being thought of as the intellectual leader, the intellectual uh, inspiration for the movement. And as such, there's now competition. There was no competition. Buckley just made it okay for people to come out of the closet and everybody revered him but now it's it's a little different i kind of this happens as as, uh, organizations and life evolves and changes and you can't go back to what it was but i've said oftentimes on this program be it in elected officials or whatever what we're, we're missing outside of the media is conservative leadership and so you know, we have a number of people who are trying to redefine what conservative is, conservatism is with themselves as the leader. Fine and dandy. Everybody's free to do what they want, but it's it's uh, causing rifts, causing some splinters to take place. 
which is natural as uh, as well. This makes me miss Mr. Buckley all the more. He was a leader with the power of his intellect and his presence, and not physical presence, just the fact that he was there doing what he was doing was leadership. Uh, I don't know how many others felt about him the way I did. I, he had universal respect among people, and I'm sure there were people who knew him that uh, had things about him they didn't like, which is true of everyone, but I never found any of those. I was too enamored and too much in awe. Of course, the, the, the awe gave way after, you know, after time, and, and it was it was easy to be myself around him, and that's that's, of course, when things really got uh, fun, because he was so uh, welcoming and understanding, and he knew his brain was 15,000 times smarter than anybody else's. He was patient. He was really patient. Uh, he was never insulting, and he was never dismissive. He was always uh, inclusive, and that was born of his confidence of knowing who he was and what he had done and being very proud of it. Uh to this day, I don't know how he lived the life he did, to be as productive as he was and to engage in what he called, as I said earlier, his sybaritic pursuits with as much energy and with as much time. I don't know how he did it. I still marvel uh, whenever I read anything he's written. I always will. And I'll always continue to learn something from him, no matter the fact that he's gone. You can reread books that he's written, books that he's edited, columns, Go back and read some of the early national reviews. Just as inspirational today as, uh, to me anyway, and I think to a lot of people as they were when they were first published. And so are you, Maha. We'll continue on the Rush Limbaugh program. Todd Herman filling in on the EIB Network. Coming up next hour on Rush's program, we're going to hear the evolution of the update theme. da 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 Rush looked back at that. And did Rush predict that electing President Trump would save America alone? No, that's not what Rush predicted. You'll hear what he predicted next year on Rush's show. Let's talk now to Katie in Maine. Katie, you're on the Rush Limbaugh program. It's Todd Herman filling in. I'm glad you called, Katie. Hi. How you doing, Todd? Um, I was calling because what I wanted to share with everybody was what Rush did for me personally. Um, I grew up Christian you know, typical conservative values. But I didn't have a true love of country until I started listening to Rush. And I've never told my husband this, but I credit him with turning me on to Rush because I never <laughs> listened. Yeah, yeah, no, really. And God, he's probably a work listening now anyway. So, yeah, honey, love you. But don't you dare rub it in my face. But um, for me, listening to Rush, I actually began to understand the political world, how they worked, what they did, and why they did it. And especially, I want to say, in the past five years, it is really, he brought home to me just how truly fragile our freedom was. I literally grew up taking that for granted. And I wanted to, you know, take the opportunity to say thank you to Catherine. You know, I know she's not on anymore, but a true thank you because this past year, you know that she was sacrificing her time with Rush to be to support him and be there for him so that he could still be there for us. He could still encourage us, and he truly went out with his boots on. So 
fighting for freedom until the last very minute. And so that's, that's what I wanted to call to share. And also, you know, to any other moms out there, I don't think the fight is over. I still feel we have a country to fight for, and I'm working hard to educate my children, not just basic history, and of course, we are using the rest of your books, they're very awesome, but I'm trying to teach them just how our political system moves and how our daily choices, even from small to where we shop, affect our political system and affect our freedom and how we need to work every day towards keeping that freedom. It's beautifully said, Katie. I appreciate the phone call, and I'm sure this will keep this secret that your husband, he doesn't need to know. We'll just make sure this show's blocked from his workplace. So thank you very much for phoning Rush's show. Very inspiring. And, and you said something about fragile systems. I, I know in conservative circles, it's a little bit controversial to talk about the movie The Hunger Games. If you haven't seen the movie The Hunger Games, or more precisely, if you've not read the books, that is a conservative movie. I don't know anything about the director as a person. I don't know anything about the screenwriter as a person. But you talk about the overreach of government and the the application of force and tyranny against people and the splitting up of people. If you don't know the story, it's sort of an old story in that, that humans hunt humans, but for the entertainment of the elites and the splitting up of the country into these districts. And there's this great moment where Donald Sutherland, yep, liberal, is in this scene with the Katniss Everdeen main character, and and she has just foiled the Hunger Games because she figured out, like, you you can't kill both of the heroes. right? You need one of us to live. And and so she and the uh, the, the, the man that she fell in love with, they were going to take these poison berries, and then, then this would destroy the theater that they built for the elites. And Donald Sutherland in the second movie is furious with her. And she says... Our system must be pretty fragile if it be brought down with a, with a couple of berries. And he says, oh, indeed it is, Miss Everdeen. Indeed it is. Rush Limbaugh, in, when he helped, well, President Trump would probably argue with this. I don't think Donald Trump would have been our president without Rush. And what R- President Trump did in office was surface, in fact, how fragile the system is. And to what degree the deep state elites will go to maintain the system or to seize it again. So next hour, we'll talk about what Russia's actual prediction was about electing Donald Trump. More to follow. It's Todd Herman in for Rush Limbaugh, our dearly departed friend on the EIB Network. Uh, it's Todd Herman, the honor to fill in for our departed friend, Rush Limbaugh. Man, if you missed uh, the hour and, well, about an hour that we spent with Catherine Limbaugh, I encourage you to get to RushLimbaugh.com. And I'm not trying to sell Rush 24-7. I am saying that it was an extraordinary moment um, of radio because of her and what she was willing to share with this audience, all of us, uh, about her time with Rush, about Rush as a man, and some extraordinary just vulnerable moments that the wife of a celebrity, and, and Catherine is a, a person in her own right with her own accomplishments and intelligence and the, the Rush Revere books. Obviously, we know that's a ton of Catherine's work. So I don't mean to say she's a wife of a celebrity full stop. She's a human being with intelligence and warmth, and, and we experienced that. What she shared with us uh, as, as a listening family is something I really hope you will take advantage of hearing because I think it will bring you peace And I also think it's a lesson in a way that Rush left us, um, which was about dying well. It's about going out with optimism and gratitude. 
It's an extraordinary moment, and I hope you'll hear her and, and take advantage of that. Next hour, Rush relived the evolution of the, the, the update theme and a famous caller. You've heard of Mick from High Mountains, but do you know why he's famous in the Rush circles? We'll continue on the EIB Network. Why are people still on the fence about owning gold and silver? I just don't understand. Have we already forgotten about regional bank closures, inflation, global instability, and the potential for serious world conflicts? You can look to precious metals for various reasons. One, having tangible currency on hand as part of your bug-out plan. Two, diversifying your portfolio as a hedge against inflation. And three, historically, gold increases in value over time. You keep yourself informed about global events. You see the increase in conflicts around the globe. Countries are buying and hoarding massive amounts of gold. Why aren't you? It's time to pull the trigger with the Oxford Gold Group and buy gold and silver. Nobody can predict the future, but we can't put our head in the sand either. The people with Oxford Gold Group are real pros. They make owning gold and silver simple and easy to understand. Call Oxford Gold Group right now and you may qualify for up to $10,000 in free precious metals. Call 833-995-GOLD. That's 833-995-GOLD. One more time, 833-995-G-O-L-D. Look, I'm a two-way guy. Second Amendment, all about it. I appreciate the sport of shooting. I appreciate marksmanship. I appreciate the right to bear arms and to defend oneself. I also respect the craftsmanship of a well-made firearm at a phenomenal price. My first career out of college put me in parts of the world where, you know what, I had to have a firearm to protect myself. Years later, I keep myself trained and in shape with my firearms. Going to the gun range with my brothers on the weekend, that's a regular event for us. It's a great time to come together, and it helps keep our skills sharp. So if you're a firearms enthusiast like me, or you have one in your life, let me tell you about the industry's best-kept secret, Bear Creek Arsenal. They offer a wide range of premium calibers at a fraction of what the competition does. How does Bear Creek Arsenal do it? There's no middleman fees. That's how. I own one of their AR-15s. It is an incredible firearm. They know what they're doing. Discover Bear Creek Arsenal. Go online to bearcreekarsenal.com slash buck. That's bearcreekarsenal.com slash B-U-C-K. Use my name, Buck, as your promo code for 10% off your first order. You're going to be amazed at the incredible quality of their firearms and the unbeatable price. BearCreekArsenal.com slash Buck. Use the name Buck to get that 10% off your first order. When you have health insurance, it's easy to think, I'm covered, no worries. Well, not so fast. Remember, your out-of-pocket costs are not covered by insurance. That can be a lot of money for your family. But how do you know you're not being overbilled? It's estimated that over 50% of medical bills contain errors. Unless you're a billing expert, how do you know your medical bills are accurate? HealthLock can help. HealthLock is a healthcare technology company that securely connects with your insurance. When your medical claims come in, HealthLock technology reviews the claim for errors like overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. HealthLock makes it easy to find and fix hidden errors so you pay only what you owe you can even have health lock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills to date health lock has helped its members save over 130 million dollars bottom line insurance alone isn't enough 
to save. Visit HealthLock.com. Do it today before you see another healthcare provider. That's HealthLock.com. Today is the day the Lord has made, and what a gift God has given us today. Opportunity to relive some of the great memories of Rush and look at what Rush presented as his vision for the future as we live through these confusing times, but that's the responsibility God has given us. We had Catherine Limbaugh join us uh, for over an hour in the first hour and part of the second hour of this program and gave of herself great moments of uh, just private moments between she and Rush and shared with us an amazing piece of audio with she and Rush talking about what they called the event, Rush's event, which was Rush's funeral. And there'll be some pictures available at RushLimbaugh.com. I, I beg you to take full advantage of that. They're beautiful pictures of when Rush Limbaugh was laid to rest in what, unfortunately, had to be a private ceremony. Uh, and Rush, of course, Rush didn't just push Donald Trump over the finish line. And I'm sure that President Trump would disagree. Rush, without Rush, the, the, the Donald Trump wouldn't have been president, I think. But Rush didn't say that electing Donald Trump saves the country. That's, that's, that's a misnomer. Right? Rush knew there was a lot involved in beginning to fight back against what Rush so early on called the deep state. And, and a lot of us said, deep state? Come on. Well, we've seen it. And President Trump surfaced the existence of the deep state for everybody to see, everybody with eyes to see, saw it. So now, here we are, talking about 2022 and 2024. And way back in February of 2016, Rush Limbaugh told us that saving the country was going to be about more than one election, and he also predicted there wouldn't be any unity. A lot of people talk about bringing the country together, unifying us, making factions of people who disagree somehow come together. I don't think that that's going to happen. We're too divided. The people on the left, they don't want to reach common ground with us. We are Nats to them. Or worse, we are the Gestapo to them. We're Nazis to them. We are whatever standing in the way of whatever they want. These people have to be defeated. They have to be overwhelmed. And then after they're defeated, they cannot be allowed to bully whoever wins into cowardice and caving in. It's going to be tough. Winning an election is just a tiny first step after we win the election, it's going to take perseverance to prevail over all the attempts to subvert the winners of the election and to corrupt what's going on, knowing they still own a lot of the bureaucracy. But if you believe in a certain cultural America, it's under siege. There's nothing to join with on the other side in preserving it. They want to tear it down, transform it, and rebuild it. They have to be defeated. This is why the Republican Party's worthless. They don't even think this way. The Republican Party is thinking about showing they can work together, they can cooperate, make Washington work. Sorry, we're so past that. We're so far past that, it's irrelevant. We're talking about holding on and preserving the country as founded. And it's going to be really, really hard. The second thing is, Rush, and this is not just you, Rush, we can't deport 12 million people. We're never going to. Who says? All that is is a conversation stopper. We are the United States of America. Who says we can't get rid of people who are here illegally? It's not a question of we can't. It's a question of do we have the resolve to? Do we have the desire to? Does it make sense to do it? Are we going to do it? And believe me, 
Even if we win on this, the people opposing it are going to be firing ammo at whoever wins like you can't believe. But if we're serious about stopping this transformation of America, it isn't going to be easy. And winning an election is not going to send a signal to the other side to stand down. You lost. They don't look at it that way. This is a fight between socialism and capitalism, freedom versus tyranny, however you want to. There isn't any overlap. The only things that we may have in common with them are what people want for their families. But we can't even agree on the definition of a family with half of these people. So I don't think all the, the putting our hands together and coming together and unifying and working and making the country and, uh, come together and, and common ground, that's, we're so far past that. Because once you accept the task at hand and what has to happen, it's winning the election. That's the equivalent being born, and we're an infant. And we've got people coming at us. They're going to try to wipe us out and eliminate everything and pretend it didn't happen. Corrupt, sabotage, undermine whoever the next president is and whoever's running the next Congress and whoever nominates the Supreme Court justice. If it's a conservative, you have no idea what's going to be brought to bear. We're going to need people with such backbone and guts and steel and iron to hold up and to withstand what's going to come at them. You can't even imagine it. But it's what's going to happen. So it's all of that that informs me each and every day here, folks, as to what happens on this program, analyzing what's going on out there. This is for keeps. This isn't about unifying, getting along. They're not interested in it. And what do you want to get along with them over? What about their agenda do you want to embrace? February of 2016, and Rush basically described the now infamous Time magazine article where the left bragged about, sure, oh, yeah, we hid information from the American people. Yeah, we changed the voting rules at the last minute. Yes, we coordinated with domestic terror groups who were burning down American cities. And Rush saw that coming. And a lot of callers, when they'd call Rush, would ask him for predictions or what do you see coming, or advice, or how are we going to deal with this? There are some callers, I've seen this as a rank amateur guest host, I've seen callers take off as phenomenons in social media because of the reach of the show. And over the years, there have been a few callers who've in fact become famous in Limbaugh lore. Nick from the uh, high mountains of New Mexico was one of them. Here's Rush playing a segment featuring him. I forgot to mention yesterday the, uh, you know, I felt yesterday, if I must be honest with you, I was telling Snurdly when we left yesterday, I felt like I left half my IQ at home. Yes, just a brain didn't seem to be working uh, as quickly and fluidly as I'm accustomed to it. Snurdly assured me that was not detectable, but I feel a little bit better here today, ladies and gentlemen. I forgot, see, this is... This is an example of what I mean by leaving half my intellect at home yesterday. The people at Human Events are doing a huge, huge, nice thing, a send-up on my 20th anniversary, Jed Babin. And I did a little interview with him on Friday, and they, they published a transcript of it yesterday. Levin had just a, a great piece. I, I guess they're having people all week write different uh, different pieces. And we, we linked to it, of course, at RushLimbaugh.com. But I, just, I forgot to mention this yesterday and to thank them. And our buddies at WorldNet Daily are doing just all kinds of things, posting tribute pieces from all kinds of people. And I just, I forgot to mention this yesterday. I felt, ba- I felt well, I know, but they started this on Friday and through the weekend. And I, 
you know, I have manners. I'm polite. I wanted to thank them, and I did just as I say. I left half my IQ at home yesterday. I I didn't feel physically bad. I just felt like the brain wasn't working. I know most people, that's how you are most days, but that's unusual for me. And it was uh, a little frustrating. Of course, when the staff says, no, we couldn't tell a difference. You know how staffs are. They suck up. That's why I trust my instincts on all of this. Speaking of the 20th anniversary uh, week celebration, the 20th anniversary is coming up on Friday. I've had a number of requests for highlights in previous shows. And one of the one of the most frequently received requests has been for phone calls from Mick from the high mountains of New Mexico. Now, we have coming up later in the week, we have a, uh, a, a a whole piece on Dan's bake sale featuring Mick from the high mountains of New Mexico. But I asked Cookie, go into the archives and just find, doesn't matter what it is, just find one today. She found one October 28th, 1994, about 14 years ago. This is Mick, who is no longer with us, by the way. Mick from the high mountains of New Mexico, the closest thing that we've ever had to a regular caller on this program. We haven't had one since, and I guess he became a regular caller. But I don't remember, did he just get in when he called, or was it Was it? Uh, we had his number and called him? He just got in. He just got in. That, oh, that's right. That's I, sent, that's I forgot I sent Mick a fax machine so he could fax stuff to us. Man, the things I have forgotten. Anyway, here's that call. Just runs about a couple minutes, shy of two minutes here. Well, looky here. Look who we have back on our phones. It's Mick from the high mountains of New Mexico. Welcome back, sir. Mick. Yes, sir. How are you? From the high mountains of New Mexico, sir. How are you? It's great. I'm glad you're there. Besides burning up my fax machine trying to get rid of Bingham and Richardson and King, I had a message for you. Do you still have that? Dear head that Ted Nugent sent you. Yeah, it's uh, sitting there on my uh, TV show set. Well, sir, I am sending. I caused the demise of eleven coyotes and ten when, of. When did you do this? Uh, just during the recent season. You caused I, the demise of eleven coyotes. Right. I brought uh, eleven of them back. Ten of them made a parka for my ex. And uh, the prime code of all is being shipped to you to hang on one of those horns that you have of Nugent's uh, white tail. Moose. So I'm going to mail it to you. Well, that's true. Well, I have... It's a full, how, how big is it? It's a full skin. I'm looking at it right now. It's hanging on the wall. I'd say it's about four feet long, tail and all. Now, what do people normally do with these things? I mean, if you don't... Make, make coats a, out of it. Yeah, but if you don't do that, what do you do? Frame it or do you hang no, it? No, you just hang it on the wall. Say, look what a man I am, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I skin my own coyote. You skun it out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is tremendous. Uh, I have never had my own coyote skin, and we will hang it on Nugent's moose with uh, pride. Thanks, Mick. As always, it's great to hear from you. Mick from the High Mountains of New Mexico. We all met him for the first time at, uh, at Dan's Bake Sale. And he looked, he looked pretty much exactly like what we expected him to look like, a cowboy. Uh, uh, thin, uh, uh, you know, gaunt, uh, almost with a, with a uh, uh, weather-worn face and so forth. Uh, you know, genuine man. He was a genuine man. Does anyone remember the prime directive when you called the Maha? What was your job as a caller? To make the host, got it, look good. 
More to come on the Rush Limbaugh program. Todd Herman filling in on the EIB network. Your guiding light through times of trouble, confusion, murkiness, tumult, chaos, organized chaos, and even the good times. Rush Limbaugh. Half my brain tied behind my back just to make it fair. As you know, Rush was always fascinated by technology, including how advanced cell phones have become. And he told us a lot. Like, you know, your cell phone's actually a small computer with a phone app on it. He was right about that. We rely on cell phones to keep us connected and access all sorts of data. And it, look, that can get expensive. Unless, of course, you've taken Rush's advice and switched to Pure Talk. Here's the Maha Rushi offering that advice so many of us have taken. Hey, folks, there's one sure bet that you can make this year, and that is you're going to use your cell phone more than you did last year. You're going to make more calls. You're going to get and send more text messages. You are going to have more data usage. That translates to bigger cell phone bills. You're going to be paying more for it unless you are proactive and do something about that. This is why so many people in this audience are switching their cell phone service from one of the big providers to Pure Talk. Pure Talk offers you unlimited talk, unlimited text, and six gigs of data for just $30 a month. And if you go over on data, they don't charge you for it. And you go, well, how can that be? Well, get it and see. You'll find out how it can be. They don't charge you if you go over your six gigs of data. Now, you compare that monthly price, 30 bucks a month, to your current cell phone bill. Just compare it. Your current cell phone bill, I mean, I would, I'd have to make a guess, but 75 80 bucks, depending on how many lines and phones you have. Don't know what it is, but 30 bucks a month for unlimited talk, unlimited text, six gigs of data. Now, here's the real icing on the cake. Pure talk uses the same cell phone towers as one of the biggest cell phone service providers in America. Can't name that provider, but Pure Talk does not have the expensive costs of retail stores. They don't have an infrastructure they have to maintain, but they use the same cell towers as one of the big providers. They focus on providing great service and support with every Pure Talk employee located in the U.S. From your cell phone, do this. Dial pound 250 and say Pure Talk. Get started. You'll save 50% off your first month. That's pound 250 and say Pure Talk. Just pick up your phone right now. Pound 250 and say Pure Talk. Guess what? Somebody from there will answer and you're off and running. It's easy to do. Just like Rush said, using your cell phone, press the pound sign and the number 250 and then say Pure Talk. You'll speak with one of Pure Talk's customer service people right here in the United States to get you started. Calling us now, Pudge from Parkersburg, West Virginia. Pudge, welcome to Rush Limbaugh's program. It's Todd Herman filling in for our departed friend. Hi, Pudge. Todd, glad to be talking with you. This is the home of Mark Stein's favorite uh, Department of Treasury, uh, the Department of Public Debt, he said that one time, <laughs> but, but it, it, while he was hosting the Rush Limbaugh show. But uh, get, get right to it. I just want, uh, I've been uh, 
really 12 years trying to thank Rush. Uh, I'm a 12-year non-Hoskins lymphoma cancer survivor. And I wanted to try to get on with Catherine, but I missed that. But uh, I used Rush's, Rush's uh, technology and downloaded a uh, redial app to get on today. So <laughs> I'm sure he'd be proud of that. But uh, I just wanted to thank uh, Catherine and him for the one-day telethons that he had all the time and earned in you know, hundreds of thousands and millions of dollars for the uh, Lymphoma Society because 12 years ago, I went to chemo, radiation, the whole works. But one of the things I did had, I had uh, chemo eight hours and uh, rituxin therapy for four the next day. And rituxin was, uh, was really on the cutting edge of uh, antibody uh, combatant to cancer, and it was. I talked to the doctor, and because that's just who I am, and it was really brought through the lymphoma society uh, that the rituxin medicine um, was about. And I just, in between God and uh, Rush, I just wanted to thank uh, and Catherine, uh, the, all three of them, for the life that he's given me. And uh, just real quick, as a side note, hey, when you're talking, uh, when you're getting ready for a vacation, a permanent vacation, like Russian Catherine was, it's easy when you know where you're going. And it, it, when you're talking about a funeral or, uh, uh, you know, if you know where you're going and where you're going to end up, it's easy to talk about. So thanks, thank the Lord Jesus Christ for his uh Saving Grace and Saving Rush. That was one of my big concerns that um, where Rush is, was going to spend eternity, and I know where he's at. Yeah. And I can't wait yeah. to get up there with him. And I thank <laughs> well, you've delayed that trip a little bit by, uh, I hear you you know, calling attention to, I think it's tens of millions, if I'm not mistaken, of dollars uh, that Rush and Catherine helped raise for um, you know, research into leukemia and lymphoma. And I hear you crediting him, but I also heard you say, you know, Rush and God. And, and of course, uh, we heard Catherine in the in the first hour. I know you, you wanted to talk with her, and I, uh, I'm sure that she'll be thankful to hear these comments. <clears throat> but that with Rush being with God now and having that opportunity to ask, what I'm thinking of is all the questions Rush will have. And maybe it is that you get to heaven and you suddenly know all these things. Although I imagine that you still have these questions for God. I just, I think of his intellect and his soul and that, that search for knowledge. And, you know, I've got to tell you that, um, you know, it's, Pudge, you know, I don't want to make light of your call at all by, by pointing out that there's a lot of people who have contacted this program to say, Rush's optimism helped me become sober. Rush's optimism helped me come back from losing my businesses or, or, or you know, falling into poverty and not, realize, not, not, not thinking of that as a destination or a permanent destination, that it was a point, it was a season in my life. So we hear these calls, and, and, and you never get tired of hearing it, even as someone who had nothing to do with it. I had nothing to do with this, and I never get tired of hearing about this because this is – I don't know that this can happen with podcasting. And podcasting has its place in the world, and there's a podcast in my morning show people listen to, and that blows my mind that people go through that process to listen to it. But there's something about live radio. I hope we never lose it. And I think that it's the transfer of human energy. 
I really do, that, that I think we could feel through the microphone Rush's life energy as he shared that with us and almost wished life into people and wished life into the country and that zeal. I, I, I just think that connection gets lost once it's on a podcast. Thanks for the call, Pudge. Glad that you lived. It's Todd Herman on the EIB Network. Do you remember back in the day when Rush announced uh, that he was leaving New York because they had passed these insane taxes on high earners and people who employ people like Rush did? And then they passed this, as I recall, this insanity where they were going to try to tax Rush if he spent the night in New York. And so the Southern Command was born and Rush decreed it so that we have the Southern Command of EIB. And that happened. Now, speaking of New York, a third woman has accused Andrew Cuomo of sexual harassment, and his brother, Fredo, has announced that he's not even allowed to mention his brother on CNN, even though they used to goof with each other with, you know, big prop Q-tips. Now, Rush had these guys absolutely pegged months ago, and he characterized Andrew Cuomo's arrogance during a press conference as, I'm the governor and you're not. And like countless jokes Rush made, it came true instantly. Now, yesterday on this program, it's amazing. I tell jokes about liberals. I characterize them or do things to make fun of them. And within minutes, either the joke comes true or the characterization is something that they actually go out there and do. And it happened yesterday. In reviewing Governor Cuomo's press conference yesterday, I happened to say... I I characterize it as the I'm governor and you're not press conference. Remember that? I'm governor and you're not. Let's go. The audio sound bites because last night, in fact, here's, well, this is what I said for, let's get the exact quote. Get this, get this. At Governor Cuomo's I'm governor and you're not briefing today. Governor Cuomo already today during the Governor Cuomo I'm governor and you're not briefing. Last night. CNN, Fredo Primetime. So Governor Cuomo's on with his brother, Fredo. And just listen, just listen. Will you please, when I get the last word, the interview's supposed to be over. Why do you let him no, keep talking? You can't then get they, the last he's word. He's still talking. I want the last word. I'm governing, and you're not. The governor, I'm governor, and you're not. That's why you have to shut up, Fredo. That's why I get, I'm governor. And that, that's how I characterize this press conference. Cookie got that. <laughs> He created a a predestiny uh, for for Andy Cuomo, and Andy Cuomo walk, walks into it. Thank you, Rush, for personifying what I am. And that's one of the many things about this program. Rush would illustrate absurdity by being absurd, then you'd have politicians take it on. Uh, another one of the staples of Rush's show was the innovations of the Rush Limbaugh show in the early years was the update theme. And when Rush would play a song parody, which introduced a discussion of the various issues that he talked about to be on the edge of societal evolution. On his 30th anniversary in 2018, Rush Limbaugh took a look back. Now, the update, which was a musical portion of the program, one of the principal ways that I pioneered combining politics with comedy and music. A lot of people have done it since, but... It first happened here. The combination, serious discussion, irreverent humor, the playing of rock and roll music on uh, programs that people thought the audience would not be interested in, pioneering stuff. And it was used to educate, to laugh, to create humor, and also inform people 
of things I wanted them to know about the left. Barney Frank update time. Homeless update. Sometimes I sing with this. I'm a lonely frog. Bring home. Update time in a Yugo. And the Rush Limbaugh program. And the master of the gown and the knees on the chest are going to save enough gas for all of the rest in a Yugo. General Dinkins update theme. There's a holdup in the Bronx. Brooklyn's broken out in fights. There's a traffic jam in Harlem that's backed up to Jackson Heights. There's a scout troop short a child cruise to when I go wild. General David Dinkins, where are you? It's time for a timber update. Time for a gay community update theme, folks. The vocal portrayal here by the late and great Klaus Nomi. This is our animal rights update theme. Andy Williams in his elevator shoes with the two. Slim Whitman sings. When the sun shines on the mountain and the night is on the run. A feminist update. The feminazis are livid at me because of, well, general principles. We're fierce, we're feminists, and we're in your face. <laughs> And that's how we taught. That's how we laughed and made uh, people aware of the mockery of the left and what they really were and what things they believed in. And we occasionally go back to the Grooveyard Forgotten Hits and relive them. <laughs> Thank goodness he did. On the topic of Russia's humor, Kelvin in Indio, California. You're on the Rush Limbaugh program. Todd Herman sitting in for our departed friend. Welcome, Kelvin. Thank you, Todd. It's a pleasure to speak with you. You're doing a great job, brother. I Thank you, brother. It. Thank you. So, yeah, um, you know, the many, many gifts that this incredible radio icon had, um, I appreciate his humor, and I'm going to miss that humor, um, especially his nicknames. <laughs> um, I, rem- <laughs> I remember when, when he started talking about Peter's struck stroke. And because he wasn't quite sure how to pronounce that last name, he called him Peter Struck Stroke. And then after the hearing, he added Schmirk. And I thought that was absolutely hilarious. <laughs> and and I was hoping to get a hold of him uh, before he left us and, and have a little fun with him myself and uh, ask him if we could add one to that. Peter Struck Stroke Schmirk Schmuck. <laughs> 
I can't speak for the for Rush Limbaugh. Only Rush ever spoke for Rush, but I, I think that'd be Rush approved. I never could figure out. You know, I loved Slick Willie. Was to me just it so described William Jefferson Blythe Clinton III. But I got lost with that little Dick Durbin thing. I didn't. I I, I just never knew what that referenced um, in relation to Rush's nicknames. What was a uh, Oh, did he have one for Chucky Schumer? Was it Chuck? No, no, no. I I don't even know if I'm allowed to say it. Um, it's something about uh, Chuck U. As- <laughs> oh, thanks for bringing that right. up. Yeah. How many times oh, did you break out laughing listening to Russia's show? Oh, many times. Yeah. Just, just the fact that, uh, you know, he just enjoyed himself and had fun with that, and it just drove the left crazy. It did. And I wish um, everybody had the occasion to we, we get this. I've heard uh, Stein talk about this. Mark Stein. I think I, th- I think I heard Brent talk about it, too. That Well, Brent was involved in the creation of some of these things. I hope I'm not giving away state secrets there. But uh, Brent was on yesterday and, and responsible for some of this artistry that we get to listen to the parodies. Uh, because they feed this audio down the line to make the lives of production directors everywhere easier. So we know that the feed is connected. We get to hear the best of this. So we are the best of those parodies. And it just, it, it somehow, I heard Mark say it sort of brings the spirit of the show alive. And it does. And it sort of reminds you that Rush set this tone of serious topics, though with a, a comical flair to that. Kevin, you set us up perfectly for the next segment. You guys are going to hear Rush's humor in a setting that most people could not find humor within. It is a very private moment between Rush and his beloved Catherine as they talk about Rush's event, by which we mean Rush's funeral. You will hear Rush and Catherine talking privately about the plans for Rush's funeral when we come back on the Rush and Buff program. Todd Herman filling in on the EIB Network. It's Todd Herman uh, filling in for our dearly departed friends, Rush Limbaugh, now questioning uh, the greats, having discussion with the greats in heaven. I'm just re- looking again at the photos Catherine Limbaugh shared with us of uh, the funeral for Rush and the beautiful blue skies and on the lake shore and the horse-drawn carriage in which Rush lay. Um, and uh, just prior to Rush being buried and uh, laid to rest, uh, and beautiful coffin, picture of Catherine. Those will be at RushLimbaugh.com. We just talked about Rush's sense of humor. And Catherine shared with us an extraordinary piece of audio, like nothing I've ever heard. You're going to hear Rush and Catherine, in, and this was October of last year, talking about Rush's event, by which they meant Rush's funeral. L- listen to this. So I am walking with Rush and explaining to him his event. And I told him all he has to do is show up. Which I've also arranged. (laughs) Yeah, and it is an event, and it's awesome. I mean, I hope you get invited to it. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, (laughs) I mean, what she just described to me is incredible. Sorry, I'm going to miss it. (laughs) You're going to have a front row seat. (laughs) But uh, I've just said to her, I can't believe it's it's so cool. Yeah. I, I can't believe I'm sitting here talking to her about. But we decided that we would be open and direct on it so that we can plan it very beautifully. And I told Rush that he is just shy of a president, and presidents get this kind of treatment, so he deserves that. So that's a little heads up on what's coming. It's going to be beautiful. Be there or be square. Rush, don't be late. (laughs) That's up to you. (laughs) It's an incredible moment of optimism, and you can... Just 
Can't you? Didn't we just talk about human energy transferring itself through live radio? I know that that's a tape, but couldn't you just feel the energy between Rush and Catherine? I do hope you get to hear Catherine Limbaugh's appearance with us in the first couple hours of the program today. Alan, the owner of Allentown, Pennsylvania, you're on the Rush Limbaugh program. It's Todd Herman filling in. Hi, Alan. How you doing? <laughs> I made I made the owner, huh? <laughs> well, you're Alan. It's Allentown. I've given you I've given you a day of honor. You own the town. All right, appreciate it. What I was calling about was I've been trying to get through for years, and um, Vietnam vet, retired military, and in 2015, between September October, I hired a PI to help me look for my children, and I was walking to different universities, as many as I could find from my hotel, and I stopped because uh, there was a policeman, and I was confused where I was at, and he says to me... This was in, pardon me, this was in Tokyo, correct? Yep, yep. and okay. he says to me, I listen to Rush Limbaugh every day. <laughs> <laughs> I was a Tokyo policeman. <laughs> that was his way of connecting with you as an American, right? Yes. <laughs> He Did asked you? me, like, are you conservative or something like that? And he goes, yes, yes. I love Rush Limbaugh. <laughs> <laughs> Did you? So I guess that crossed the cultural barrier. You guys just had this uh, instant moment of connection. Yes, it was great. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's <laughs> terrific. What did it mean for you to hear Rush's um, support for our veterans? Oh, I loved it all the time. I was listening to him every chance I got. Yeah. And trying yeah. to tell my subordinates to listen to him. Yeah. yeah, I appreciate oh, yeah. that. Listen, Alan, welcome home, brother. Okay. Welcome Thank you. home. Yeah, I, I love that because it uh, maybe it's more relaxing. It was, it was like, yes, somebody knows what's going on. Yeah. Instead yeah. of all the lies. Yeah. No, I, I I appreciate the phone call to rush the show, and it's just a great moment to relive. Thank you very much, Alan. I want to try to get just one more call in real quick. Steve, we're going to be up against the clock. And so you have to be, uh, brevity is the sake of humor and clarity. So, Steve, go ahead. You're on Russia show. Okay. Hey, Todd, condolences to Catherine and all the Limbaugh family. Uh, I just wanted to uh, pick up where you talked about uh, Rush illustrating absurdity by being absurd. I can remember trying to get my sister Susan to listen to Rush for the longest time. And finally, she goes out and listens to him. To him in the 1990s, and the first caller comes on, and this is back when the feminists were all pushing that all sex is rape, and you know they were really off off the charts. And Rush was doing his feminazi bit, and uh, the first woman calls in and goes, "Oh, hi, Rush. This is Amy from Toledo." And, and Rush goes, "And how many times have you been raped, Amy?" She goes, "Oh, three times. Two boys and a girl." <laughs> and my sister calls me back and goes, "What in the world do you have me listening to?" Yeah. Which of course she stayed with it and finally became a huge fan. And uh, you know, I actually. Well, we're all from New York, and as soon as we started listening yeah. to Rush, all of our thoughts changed. Yeah. All of our ideas, everything we believe, yeah. Rush and, articulated for yeah, us. Yeah, and there was Rush taking the very serious topic of rape, which Rush took very seriously, and pointing out that when you just use it for political means, you lose the seriousness of what should always be a serious, awful crime to be imparted upon a woman and the left just uses it for political ammo. And Rush illustrated that absurdity brilliantly out of respect for women. We'll come back on the Rush Limbaugh program. Rush's method was so precise and so smart that if you were a new listener, that's why he said you need to spend six months or so getting to understand the show. Because the illustration of absurdity through being absurd could be taken for what it was not. 
And that's why this show was something that you had to listen to daily. And this great gift today that Catherine shared with us about Russia's gentlemanly way around all women and his gentle way around kids. Even she said that Rush Limbaugh was uh, nervous when he's around kids because he felt like he didn't know how to act, but he did it well. It, it, it was the heart that beat with a desire to make people happy. And in this great lesson of dying well and accepting of God's will, that is a way to be happy. Rush wanted us to be optimistic. And he did that through the program. And he did that through pursuit of liberty, not having it handed to you. And clearly, as you learn today, again, hearing Catherine, he found it himself in a marriage to a woman who respected Rush for who she learned he is and was and is. It's been my honor to fill in on the EIB Network today. Thank you. Born on America's darkest day of 9-11, the Tunnel to Towers Foundation has been helping America's heroes ever since. When a first responder or military service member doesn't come home and young children are left behind, Tunnel to Towers pays the mortgage on the family home to lift the financial burden. For severely injured veterans and first responders, Tunnel to Towers builds mortgage-free smart homes, enabling severely injured heroes to move around their homes more independently. Through the Foundation's Homeless Veteran Program, Tunnel to Towers is providing housing and services to homeless veterans. More than 3,300 were helped last year alone. Because all veterans who honorably served, whether in peacetime or war, deserve our nation's gratitude. People who put their lives on the line for our country and our communities need your help now more than ever. Join Tunnel to Towers on its mission to do good and never forget 9-11 or the sacrifices of this country's heroes. Donate $11 a month at T2T.org. That's T2T.org. Pure Talk, the cell phone service my family relies on, is now providing international roaming to over 50 countries. As you plan your summer travel, make sure your wireless company covers you at home and abroad. Unlimited talk, text, plenty of 5G data for just $20 a month. That's less than half the price of Verizon, AT&T, or T-Mobile. Go to puretalk.com slash clay and make the switch today. That's puretalk.com slash clay and you'll save an additional 50% off your first month. Switch to Pure Talk so you can have more money to travel with this summer. Good sleep should come naturally, and with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between Lisa and West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is expertly crafted from natural latex, natural wool, and certified safe foams to elevate your sleep sanctuary and support a greener tomorrow. Plus, every purchase helps fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart.